what's going on podcasting world and hello to everybody on Facebook and Instagram live. This is the core consult RX podcast. Cole, what's going on, man? Doing great. Kind of nervous today. Why? We're taking on our first women's health topic. <laughs> yeah, we are. Oh, jeez. And you know, honestly, we probably should have thought it through and maybe had a female come on with us. But mm. since we scheduled this last minute, that we'll would have, have been to. A... Uh, that would probably have been the better move to do. Yeah. But whatever. We'll, we'll give it a best shot. We'll be two men <laughs> talking about women's talking health. Talking about That'll women's help. health. But uh, yeah, so ladies, go easy on us, and um, we'll we'll make the situation better next time we do this. We can actually have a female on. We dressed up for it though. We're both wearing collars today. Yeah. We dressed up because we came, came from home work. from work late, yeah. and now we're here. So, how many uh, flu shots did you do today, just out of curiosity? We broke 50. I think it was 52 today. Jeez. Didn't beat my record, though. F- and what's your record right now? It's 53, so we were close. 53 flu shots in one shift. Yeah. That is ridiculous. It's crazy. But, I, you know, it's good for herd immunity, I suppose. Yeah. I'm just getting, just with the the awareness and everybody seeming to get their flu shot, and I'm hoping it's going to be a good year for the flu. Yeah. Better hopefully, than last well, hopefully year. Hopefully they got the... Uh, they got the preparation correct this time. The, yeah. the formula, if you will. That's all I guess. But, uh, yeah. Educated guess. Very educated guess, but hopefully better than last year. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so did you hear about the, I forget which state it was now, but where they're actually considering, or maybe they may have even gotten it passed, where they're going to have a like specialized, special trained technician take over some of the vaccine administration. Really? And they're going to say that's okay for technicians to give them? Mm-hmm. After the, I mean, after they've done the training and whatnot. I mean, I don't see a problem with that at all. So I don't either. And I was reading some of the comments who were just, and they were just ripping this apart. Pharmacists that were like so upset about giving like our job of flu shots away. I mean, that would be, I mean, that'd be great. Oh, I mean, you know, it was, it was a hard fought battle to get us the the right to give flu shots in the first place. But I mean, it depends on what you're, which lens you're looking at it through. Are you looking at it through? Our scope of practice, benefit for the patients, revenue. Um, if it's if it's revenue and benefit for the patients, then it'd be great to have a technician do it because it'd be cheaper. Um, and I mean, if if someone without any spe- you know specialized training except for like in phlebotomy can give IVs, yeah, I figure that or draw blood as long as that. there's a, a pharmacist overseeing what vaccine is being given, right? Then it's okay for them to administer it. That's what I mean. MAs give vaccines yeah. Oh, yeah in fact the clinic that i work for w- the pharmacists would very rarely give administer a vaccine yeah so you know the mas do that and they do a good job so i don't see yeah. why I, I think that's i get the whole you know trying to like show our worth and if we just keep giving our jobs away however you know this is something that do you really need to have someone with a farm d or an md or you know whatever do the, the actual PA administration actually administer it? right. it's not like it's that I mean, I, I did 50 today and the majority of it was just, was the majority of it was paperwork. Yeah. Um, and then the other part was sticking somebody with a syringe, which, yeah, mm-hmm. a specialized technician could definitely do. I think so too. I was just pretty fascinated with how angry some of the people were and just how, yeah. talking about how that was the worst idea ever. I don't know, to me, and I'm just saying this to get controversy going, but. Um, we're all I, about controversy. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We're not, but <laughs> I just feel like. To me, if that's the attitude behind it, it's more so, you know, not looking forward to the future of like what really we should be focused on, which is a lot more clinical, you know, diabetes education, anticoagulation, hep C, I mean, all kinds of different things, prep and, you know, and staying focused on 
something like vaccine administration, which, you know, I get it. We had a hard fight battle to get that approved and all that, but now it's turned into, right. thanks to a certain community pharmacy and the chains, if you will, has turned into just this disaster where they give you one pharmacist and, you know, a thousand flu shots right. to do. So I would be more than happy to have some help. And then maybe that would open us up to maybe actually talk to patients and do, well, do what we were trained to do. I mean, I think that would be good because it would open up the pharmacist to be able to do that. And I feel like the pharmacies retail would be on board because it'd be a lot cheaper for them That's and they I'm would thinking. still get the revenue and the patients would still get the shot. So it's a win all around. And I don't even think that the doctor's offices really want to give them because it takes time and mm. they want to be able to see as many patients as possible. So I think that's just a win, 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 win. Yeah. I think that if big, like the big chains, if they could somehow get the patients to administer the vaccine to themselves, that would really yeah. cut costs. Well, you know, I talked to those old <laughs> ladies who give themselves that B12 shot. They just yeah, that's reach true. around and whoosh. So yeah, yeah let's, let's go perfect. for that. Let's go. Yeah, it's like the, <laughs> the self ring up We're, of we'll, pharmacy vaccines. We'll, the petition, the petition will be on coreconsulrx.com. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead and vote for that. Go sign it. <laughs> We're sued immediately. <laughs> First person that doesn't somebody stabs themselves in the chest. Hematoma. Oh, man. No arm. Yeah, that would be a terrible idea. But I could totally see corporate trying to be like, yeah, that's oh fine. yeah, that's, yeah, that's fine. That sounds good. We uh we just went ahead and did some training over the weekend. Now we we got it all figured out. We have this whole patient centered class where they can learn, and it's great. It saves so much money. Mm-hmm. They have to pay us for it though, so right. <laughs> and you'll have to do that in your time off. You, <laughs> we actually can't fit that in the budget. Anyways, uh, I just joked because I worked in chain for so long, and now I get to make fun of it. So, <laughs> anyways, um yeah. So in honor of. I guess it's, it's what, I don't know what the proper term is, but it was Pharmacist Women's Day, I believe, is what they're officially calling it yeah. on the, the 12th. Um, and then it's also Pharmacist Month. Yeah. So, it's also Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Yeah. It's all about the ladies this month. Physician Assistant Week. Week last week, yeah. Why are we showing off of the month? Why do we think well, we're fancy? I don't know. It's pretty cocky. Well, I'm sure PAs have the month, right? No, they have a week. So that's it. Mm-hmm. They they were you know very humble in their claiming yeah. of a holiday. I think that we're like no nah, October's ours. Well, us we claimed October, but not too many people know about it. <laughs> There's that. I, yeah, I didn't get a single day off. Right. <laughs> I didn't get any days off. It's ridiculous. I got a commemorative pen last year. <laughs> so yeah, like we said, women's topic, National Women's Pharmacy Day coming up on the twelfth. This is good. Yeah. Give this it's a appropriate. shot. Yeah. yeah, and we'll. Uh, Covering some OB stuff in my PA class as well. So trying to uh, cover all of our bases here. And may work some more m- stuff in there. Maybe. Uh, We've done men's health. Kind of. We did yeah. BPH. Yeah, we did. And that's mostly men, right? Mm, <laughs> I think so. Maybe. <laughs> Hang on. Let me review my anatomy. <laughs> yeah. So, I, yeah. And that's a good one because I think we have a lot of other areas we can go in there too. Like, yeah. you know, doing a hormone replacement in males and females as they get older and yeah. there's a lot of cool areas so we just added a whole bunch of topics we can talk about there you go to and our to our uh our pla- what we, do we call it our playlist we did good today because we always talk about how we want to be a little more specific so today mm-hmm. we're talking about oral contraceptives and we're leaving it there not yes. talking about all contraception not even going to get into the shots or implants or iud's mm-hmm. focusing on oral contraception. We're actually going to focus we're on one focus thing. focus on something. We actually made a plan. We, got a pl- we did make a plan. And we're really going to try to stick we're to gonna it. We're going to try. We'll yeah. see what happens. My original plan was to, to talk exclusively about condom use and just to compare all the brands, and that got shot down immediately <laughs> as being inappropriate for the podcast. But now it's on record. So. We're family friendly, mostly. We There's probably some stuff in here that you probably wouldn't want children to hear. I guess really? they can 
I don't know. I don't know. We'll, I feel we'll like find we, out. I feel like we keep it pretty clean. Okay. <laughs> We're family friendly. I feel good about it. My conscience is clear. We'll see. So where do you want to start? Uh, so we can just start with combination. So there's basically there's combination oral contraceptive, contraceptive, so a progestin and an estrogen component. Uh, then there's also progestin-only contraceptives. So we can start with the combination. Uh, all of this is a pretty recent um, innovation. So the combination pills came out uh, right around the 1960s, probably pretty aware of that. Uh, but back then, it was a totally different animal. So they used a lot higher doses of the steroids. So um, the progestin and the estrogen, those are steroids. And they used higher concentration of those. Up until really 1992 was when they finally started to decrease the doses. Uh, most preparations today contain ethanol estradiol as the estrogen component in 35 micrograms or less. Uh, and there's multiple progestin components. You might see norethindrone, levonorgestrel, norgestrel, uh, norethindrone, norgestimate, and newer is uh, drospirinone. So that's like the Yasmin uh, birth controls. So all those are options. And in the combination, you're going to use both. Um, before, they did have mestrinol. That was an older version of an estrogen component. They don't really use that anymore. Uh, but that's what you'll see. Absolutely. So kind of talking about the menstrual cycle, I guess we should at least mention that since some of the um, contraception, the oral contraceptives kind of mimic that same cycle. Um, we'll kind of run through this just as a review um, real quick. So think of it as three phases. Um, the first phase being the follicular phase. So this is where you're going to get follicle stimulating hormone and, you know, which that's going to um, stimulate the, the egg development. And then you're also going to get this uh, increase in estrogen production. Um, that leads into the ovulatory phase. Um, that's going to be where you get this surge of luteinizing hormone. And that is going to actually trigger the ovulation. It's a process of ovulation 24 to 36 hours later. Um, and the release of the egg from the ovary. Um, and then the third phase, um, the luteal phase, is where you begin the actual ovulation, and it lasts for about 14 days. So, kind of going through, um, and we'll hear, you know, luteinizing hormone, follicle stimulating hormone, all these different um, components of the cycle. We won't spend too much time going through all the different right. avenues of that. Um, but know that, you know, the, the rise and fall of those two hormones kind of plays a factor in keeping this, uh, cycle, a cycle. Right. And so when we are thinking about the oral contraceptives, um, whether it's monophasic or, um, multiphasic, if you will, um, they will sort of mimic that as they, as they get further in, uh, similar to that actual pattern. And that's important to the mechanism of action of contraception of the combination pills. So there's three major ones, but ultimately it prevents ovulation. That's going to be the primary mechanism of action for these and for the progestin-only contraceptives. Um, there are a couple of other things that it does. So using both of them, because alone they can work, but using both of them creates an actual synergistic effect. It can increase their anti-gonadotropic and ovulation inhibitory effects. Um, they also alter the consistency of cervical mucus. Um, they affect the endometrial lining, generally making it inhospitable. And they can also alter tubal transports. Those are all minor mechanisms. The main one is they're going to prevent 
ovulation and obviously the point of contraception being to prevent pregnancy. Yes. So how do you want to do this? We didn't really uh, come up with that much of a game plan. No, I thought we how did. Do you, how do you uh, want to start the process of kind of going through some of these? Yes, I mean, that's the background. Um, there's multiple different versions or I guess um, types of combination pills. There's the monophasic, which is basically one dose of estrogen, one dose of progestin the whole entire time. There's also um, biphasic or I guess um, triphasic or quadphasic. There's multiple different ones that might have different doses of estrogen or progestin depending on the time of the cycle. Um, And it kind of varies all going to uh, the same goal, which is mainly preventing ovulation and preventing pregnancy. But there's those with the combination options. And then um, I think you mentioned it a little bit, but the progesterone only, um, you'll see those that they're basically going to prevent pregnancy um, by suppressing ovulation um, and thickening that, you know, cervical mucus uh, that that Cole was talking about. Um, And they seem to be... um, gaining more traction because of the the, adverse effects that we see with estrogen components. Um, And so if you're giving a progesterone only, not to say that they're without flaw, but um, the estrogen components uh, definitely can lead to more uh, serious side effects. So So we can talk about some of those. Starting to see more of the progesterone only, I feel like. And there are, we'll talk about advantages and disadvantages of both, but um, common side effects you're going to experience with combination contraceptives are going to be um, nausea potentially especially in the beginning breast tenderness you might see some light spotting or bleeding in the first three to six months that's pretty common um, and you can let patients know that's common generally you don't want to or you want to go for at least three cycles or so with one uh, type of pill before adjusting depending on what the um, adverse effects are so those are more of the minor ones there are also some major ones that have been associated with um oral contraceptives, specifically the estrogen component, like Mike was referencing, um, VTE or increased risk of VTE is one. Um, so that's something to be aware of and you're going to be, um, hesitant. If not, um, you definitely won't want to use estrogen containing contraceptives in patients who have a history of VTE or PE, um, diabetes with vascular, um, issues, cardiovascular disease, or I should say, um, like, uh, V peripheral artery disease mm-hmm. you want to be careful there hypertension um, uncontrolled hypertension you may want to consider it it's more it was more of a concern when they had the higher doses of estrogen now it's pretty minimal so you really shouldn't see much of an increase in blood pressure but with the higher dose pills they used to see um, a lot of patients about five percent of patients going above that 140 over 90 uh, mark but it shouldn't be as much of a concern these days um, there are um some studies that show an increased risk of certain um, cancers, this is controversial, um, breast cancer being one, um, cervical cancer being another. It's not definite, um, but maybe something to consider. So, yeah, those are the kind of the main concerns people have with the estrogen components. And um, I don't know if I didn't hear you mention this, but one of the, you know, part of that black box warning with the estrogen-containing products where you're worried about the DVT, um, they, they do recommend that you avoid use in women who are 35 or over 35 years old who also smoke um, because there's even more of a cardiovascular risk there um, on top of just having uh, a, a VTE or something. You can also increase the risk of stroke and, and all that. So um, 35 and over who smoke, you got to definitely be uh, very cautious. 
Yep. And um, some other side effects you want to be aware of. And you'll have to, determining which contraceptive you want to use is very patient-specific because it depends on what kind of issues they're having along with them just wanting to prevent pregnancy. They may even be using it for another reason. So there's a lot of advantages um, to oral contraceptives. One is somebody who may have um, cycles that are inconsistent. They might want to go on an oral contraceptive to make those more consistent because the way it usually works is you have 21 days of an active pill and then you'll have seven days of a placebo pill. Um, so it actually will induce a period once you start the placebo pill for a few days um, and then you'll immediately restart another package of the active pills. Um, so it makes cycles very consistent. It can make them less heavy if that's an issue for patients. Um, yeah. So that's definitely a benefit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and there's a couple questions on Instagram. We'll get to those in just a sec. But um, the the other thing I, I think a lot about is, is acne. So especially... Yeah. Um, Younger females, a lot of times, will try to get on the um, one of these medications, not even just using it for um, contraception, but actually using it to kind of control the hormones and, and hopefully help with um, some of the acne outbreaks and things. Um, one of the um, things to watch for is if you are on a medication and you're starting to have breakouts, um, you would want to look for to look to switch to a product that is very low androgenic activity um, or no androgenic activity at all. So, Cole, you mentioned drosperinone. Mm -hmm. um, that is the progesterone that doesn't have, uh, I believe it doesn't have any no, it um, doesn't. androgenic activity at all. And um, it, it's, some, it's interesting because that's kind of, if you think about like males who are using uh, testosterone replacement therapy, um, we have some, we have the anabolic effect with the muscle and all that, but we also have the androgenic effect as well, which is where all the, the back knee, if you will. Um, and you know, some of those unpleasant side effects come from is the androgen component. And so we're having to deal with the same thing, um, in females as well. And so you would want to switch to the brand name would be Yaz, uh, or Yasmin. Um, I think Biaz maybe one as well now. Anyways, um, Drosperinone is the progesterone component you'd be looking for in that. Um, Biaz is, um, a combination. So it has estrogen in it. Yeah. Well, not not just your spare now. Well, yes has. Oh yeah, it's a combination yeah. too. But no, um, androgenic activity. I think bi I want to say bias has like some sort of a folate. Yeah, it has the folate. So that's that another thing they've been doing with the contraceptives recently is adding a folate, um, basically supplement mm -hmm. in with it. Yeah. Got to keep those macrocytic anemias at bay. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see what else. It, um, actually, a um, Instagram question kind of referenced something very interesting. So he asked what oral contraceptive would you want to use in a patient who's breastfeeding? Um, so yeah, breastfeeding is definitely a concern, especially with the estrogen component of oral contraceptives. So you'd want to go with a progestin only, um, pill if you can, or you'd want to try a non-hormonal option. Um, definitely don't want to be adding in the estrogen component if you're breastfeeding. Yeah, good. Um, and then somebody else on Instagram, I just noticed who said, uh, what's the verdict on TPA for stroke? Um, hold that thought. We're going to have, uh, Dr. Brian Gilbert on. He just did another review paper that is uh, scheduled to be published soon. And, um, we're going to have him on hopefully in the next week or so. And, uh, he'll be able to do a very good job of explaining his thoughts on TPA, uh, use and stroke and, um, give you much better insight than I will since he deals with that on a daily basis. So, um, stay tuned for that. Cool. Yeah, we can go through some more of these patient uh, considerations. Yeah, I like this. Um, let's see. What about uh, fluid retention? 
Um, same kind of thing. You're looking for um, a drosperinone uh, containing product. So Yaz, Yasmin, Biaz. Mm-hmm. Um, the, this um, progesterone component has mild um, potassium sparing diuretic-like effects. That's very interesting. Yeah. Um, and so it's going to help reduce that water retention. Um, it is going to be um, contraindicated if a patient has, you know, renal uh, decline in renal function. Um, and then because it does affect potassium and it has a potassium sparing effect, you would obviously want to monitor to make sure you're not going hyperkalemic. Right. Um, but uh, and if, if they're on any other medications that deal with potassium, really monitor. But um, that can help with some of the fluid retention and even bloating as well. So. Drospirinone seems to be a solid option for a lot of things, a lot of the common complaints. Yeah, and another common one is nausea. So you're going to hear that from a lot of patients. Uh, one thing you can do is try to have them take it at night. So a lot of people take it in the morning, but some prefer to take it at night. That will actually help if they're about to go to bed. Also have them take it with food, so maybe closer to dinner time. If they're still struggling with the nausea, you can consider decreasing the estrogen dose. So that's probably what's going to be adding to that or consider a progestin only um, or something like a nuva ring or a non-hormonal method. We didn't, um, just real quick before we keep going with these, we didn't talk too much about the progestin only. Um, A lot of the mechanism of action is going to be similar. The big drawback from progestin onlys is that... um, is the missed pills. So we haven't really talked about that yet. Um, but with progestin-only contraceptives, it's really important to take it at the same time every day. Um, if it's within just a few hours, it can be considered a missed pill. Um, but so you, a lot of the, com- the combinations are going to definitely be the most common. Um, so considering a progestin-only will probably be if there's some reason they can have estrogen or if the side effects are steering them there. But we'll talk more about the missed pills in a little while. Yeah. Um, did you talk through, uh, breakthrough bleeding as well? Which one to go with? Um, so it depends on which formulation you're kind of, you're starting with. So you need the, when you're first starting on these medications, you can get some breakthrough bleeding and things just because you're causing a disruption in your normal hormone levels. Um, so a lot of times, you know, within even as nearly as three months of being on the medication, it kind of like works itself out and it'll um, it'll go away. However, if it does uh, continue, then um, especially if it's like early to mid cycle spotting, then it's probably a matter of increasing the or needing to increase the estrogen dose. Um, and then it's the opposite. If it's the later happening later in the cycle, then it's you want to uh, increase the progesterone dose. So early estrogen, late progesterone, and then the doses can go up. They have so many different products available now that they can really, um, you can find small increments to go up right. and uh, and kind of treat that um, adverse effect because you don't have to deal with that long term. That definitely makes sense if you consider the hormone level fluctuations throughout the cycle. Yeah, for sure. Um, also I didn't talk about these. So normally it is 21 days of active pills and seven days of placebo, but there are some other options. So if a patient wishes to avoid their monthly cycle, whether they just don't want to have one at all, or they have some special circumstance like a trip, um, or a wedding or something like that, uh, you can skip the, the menses altogether. Um, you can use the 21 day with seven day placebo packs. You would just skip the placebo portion and keep going with the active pills pretty much indefinitely if you wanted to. They also have extended um, formulation birth controls up to 91 days. 
Um, and I think Seasonel and Seasonique are a couple of those brand names. They also have one um, 365-day um, extended formulation that you can use. So you basically wouldn't have a menses, or you might have one once every year, uh, but it's just continual for the whole entire year. And some people like that option. Yeah. I haven't seen it, but it is it is FDA approved and it is available. And it's called Librel, L-Y-B-R-E-L. And then what gets confusing is when they start trying to get fancy with the iron tablets and you right. have the 24 active pills and then the four pills of iron. Right. And then, then it just goes off the rails from there. <laughs> completely <laughs> you, off you the You got to figure out what in the world product they're actually looking for. A lot of respect for OBs. <laughs> I, I, they're a lot smarter than I am. But uh, yeah, that's because there are so many formation or formulations. Um, it is super important to make sure that you're for the pharmacist listening to make sure that you are really double checking. Um, sometimes we'll see, you know, the products that have iron um, at the end of them, and you know, maybe we don't have that one stock, or it gets put in for iron, and it's like, ah, just whatever. Who cares? Just iron pills. It's just placebo. Just don't worry about it. Um, you don't want to just assume. There's definitely cases where the prescriber you know is doing something very specific and mm-hmm. you don't want to just um without seeing any sort of medical history right. or chart or knowing that patient's history you don't want to just take that into assumption because um of the simplicity of the placebo pills and whatnot right so, something to consider yeah so you want to talk about missed pills yeah we can do that so efficacy of these contraceptives is actually um very good but if if you thought they were a hundred percent um, effective, you'd be sadly mistaken. Uh, so with perfect use, which is taking it at the exact same time every day. So this is for the combination specifically, but, um, if you're doing it perfectly, then the progestin only should be very similar. Um, the efficacy rates are, or I should say the failure rates are 0.1%, um, with perfect use, but it's 5% with typical use. So that would be, you know, people occasionally missing doses or not taking it perfectly or, um, having potentially drug interaction that, um, they weren't told about. Um, so 5%, that's one in 20, you know, that's, um, it's kind of significant. I think back, I always think about the friends episode where, um, where, uh, Ross realizes that condoms are like 95% effective and he's like 95% effective. <laughs> are you kidding me? <laughs> so yeah, contraceptives are not a hundred percent effective and it's, it seems obvious to us, but you also want to point out to patients that oral contraceptives do not prevent STIs and STDs. Yes. Yeah, they are not created this mystical barrier. Yes, no mystical barrier. <laughs> nope, you will still get it. So yeah, so what happens if you miss a pill? All right, so looking at the combination products first, um, we get a little bit more leeway. You kind of just started to address that earlier, but combination products where you have estrogen and progesterone happening, uh, if it is starting off with one late uh, or missed pill. So let's say you just go and you do not take it, you miss your Saturday pill because you're having too much fun at the beach, whatever. Um, the uh, just hitting the waves, yeah, you surfing know how, too much. You know how these crazy kids are doing these Can't days. Can't take my birth control. Can't <laughs> my birth control. And body surf. <laughs> Anyways, um, this is why we should have gotten females on the show. <laughs> Sound like complete idiots. <laughs> so, um, you you need to basically take the pill as soon as possible for when you realize that you've actually forgotten it. Um, and then even if that means taking two pills in one day, um, uh, is okay. And that's if it's less than 48 hours since your last dose. Less than 48 hours. Yeah. You don't, if, if you're trying to figure out what month it is, 
you probably just need to go ahead and start <laughs> just, over. Just start over. And then what would you do? Because if it was less than 48 hours and you're sure of that, um, then you wouldn't necessarily have to use backup right. contraception. Exactly. You don't have but to. But if you're trying to figure out what month it is. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing, though. For me personally, if my wife was, I was going to say. Yeah. If my wife was like, oh, you know what? Hey, I missed 48 hours. Right. I'm like, well... <laughs> This is not a gambling house. So, so I was going to say I've been I've been called to the pharmacy and asked about this before, and um, you know even if it's less than forty eight hours, I'm probably going to say yeah. you're going to want to use backup contraception mm-hmm. for seven days after, even though I know technically you may not have to. I'm going to say that just to be safe, right? You know yeah. I don't want to be paying any alimony. Yeah, no, I don't want you to have to do that either. That would be that would really cut into podcasting. <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't be able to buy all this Work, equipment. Working extra shifts right. to pay to somebody else's child, child support. support. That would be terrible. So I'm usually pretty careful of that kind of stuff. Yeah. So technically you don't have to if it's less than 48. Um, but, you know, use your clinical judgment there. Right. Um, and then if you miss two doses, so it's been greater than 48 hours, um, then you need to, if you can, take the missed pill as soon as you can. You can even do two in one day, like we said. Um, and then... You would want to omit your placebo week that's coming up, you know, wherever that is. And so just go ahead and omit that um, and then just start immediately on the next pack of pills after finishing the current one that you had the the missed doses on. Right. If you're later on the pack. And this one, they do want you to do a backup um, contraception method for at least seven days you know, maybe make it nine just to give yourself some leeway. Just in case. And I don't tell your patients this, but I feel like I had heard that really after 24 hours after the dose, you should be good. Um, but <laughs> just just to be safe, yeah. they go ahead and recommend the seven days. So that's kind of another cover yeah. your butt situation. Yeah, we'd now. like to repeat that. Do not tell. Right, anyone. do not tell the patients. And if you happen to be a patient listening to this podcast, one, this is not for you. This is not Second for of you. all, you definitely don't take this. Use backup contraception all the time. Yes. Which, you know, it's actually not a bad thing to recommend that anyway for right. STT and SDI purposes. Espe- yeah, especially um, patients that are in high risk type situations right. or, um, you know, Mardi Gras rough, right. so, so me, that me and careful. Mike, me and Mike are officially recommending that. So yeah, there's our it's official. There's our CYB from co- the cover two married guys who, for fun, <laughs> podcast <laughs> talking to a mic with no ladies here to correct. Yeah, exactly. Anyways, uh, off the um, rails. <laughs> so, um, uh, so progesterone only. Um, yes. If it has been more than three hours, so you went from forty eight hours, hours to three hours. So you not a lot of leeway there. No. Um, you definitely need to take the pill as soon as possible. Um, and if it's gone, again, if it's above three hours, um, you need to use backup contraception for at least 48 hours um, <clears throat> while you get the medication back into your system. And uh, you would probably want to use, um, you know, realistically, maybe even more than 40 hours. It can be up to five days. Um if you are unsure, and if and if it's been, um, if you've had un- unprotected sex within the last five days of missing that three-hour window, then you would probably want to consider a um, emergency contraception method as well, um, because sperm can actually live um, for three days or so in the system, and so you you need to be careful that that's not uh, all of a sudden making moves, as they say. 
And there are some advantages. So three hours is a teeny tiny window. A little bit too small of a window for my taste. It's like 180 minutes, if I were to guess. Is that what it is? Mm-hmm. Exactly? Exactly. Oh, my gosh. I can't turn that into seconds. That's not... <laughs> I don't have a calculator. What is that song? How many seconds are in a day? No, I don't know. Okay. That sounds like a country song. No. It was um, some American Idol guy. Mm, yeah, I wouldn't. Anyways, somebody knows. Uh, there are some advantages to using progestin only. Um, so obviously those issues, potential issues that we reference with estrogen kind of takes those away. Um, so the thromboembolism risk is, uh, minimal, um, also decreases in dysmenorrhea, uh, decrease in menstrual blood loss, potentially decrease premenstrual syndrome symptoms. Um, and we're, we're not talking about the non-oral contraceptives, but there does happen to be a depot uh, injection, progesterone injection. And for that, fertility um, is not necessarily reestablished for a significant period of time after stopping it. Uh, one positive or maybe negative about the uh, pro- uh, oral progestin is that fertility is immediately reestablished after stopping the pill. So those are all good things. Absolutely. But with the combination, sometimes it can take time for fertility to be reestablished. Um, if it's been six months or greater, you, or even potentially less, you probably want to have, you know, seen somebody about it. But definitely at six months, you probably want to get that checked out and um, see what's going on because you uh, will hopefully have had it reestablished after stopping the medication uh, for six months. Yep. Um, so we've talked already about the fact that estrogen components can cause a um, increase in this clot risk. But I actually got a question about this the other day on Instagram and it's kind of interesting because I think, and you know, the guy that sent it to me, he's a, he's a PA student. Uh, I think he's just about finished up with school. Um, and I, I told him, I was like, I'm so pumped that you were taking the time to actually look at the mechanism behind stuff. That's awesome. And listen to our podcast. Yeah. It's shocking. <laughs> I know. Do people actually listen? To I don't thing? think so. <laughs> but, um, the uh, he'd asked me about like why does that happen and what the mechanism is, um, and I can post the link to the actual. There's an article that I found um, and it saved my computer, but it's it's the mechanism of oral um, contraception blood clot risk, and uh, basically just in short, um, I'll post the link to the article in the show notes. But um, in short, basically the estrogen is affecting some of the um, gene transcription and it can um, increase the plasma concentrations of these clotting factors and so you you get the i mean it's a really complex kind of mechanism but you basically are upregulating some of these clotting factors so you have an increased chance of forming a clot right so hmm. stinking estrogen i know jeez mm. it keeps you from getting pregnant yeah huh. Which, you know, I'm, I mentioned the fertility and, you know, it not returning for greater than six months. Kind of a weird thing to have even said. I meant, um, I meant if you're, you know, like how do you know? I meant if you're, which, you know, I guess that would be an issue if you're trying to get pregnant and it's been longer than six months, probably want to get it checked out. I actually meant if menses, so it can take some time for, um, if you've been on oral contraceptives for a while um, and you've come off, you may not necessarily have a um, menstrual cycle immediately um, and it may not be for a month or two but definitely if it hasn't returned in a period of six months or so you want to get that checked out so that's what i had intended to say gotcha hey and honestly we're getting better because now you're catching it before the episode usually it's over. after you, it's over and it's I'm like, usually oh, four episodes from now we're the like flu did oh. not kill 10 million people <laughs> it may yeah you never know you never know we just google stuff 
<laughs> just Google it. Just Google it and see what happens. But seriously, we joke about our listeners, but it has been steadily increasing, and we, we're very thankful for you guys. Yeah, so. absolutely. You guys are the best. Um, before we close it up, I do want to um, mention one more thing. We talked about kind of going back to the formulation considerations. Um, we talked about spotting and breakthrough, um, but dealing with like really heavy menstrual bleeding is another concern that some patients may have. Um, and this actually is a good uh, reason to switch from one of those um, from a seven day placebo to like a four day placebo, which I was just making fun of earlier. Um, that's one of the reasons why they may actually be doing that. And uh, as well as going to like a continuous, um, you know, non placebo uh, regimen as well uh, to try to lower the, the severity of that menstrual bleeding. Mm-hmm. And they have actually, there's been some studies where they looked at, um, if they stop the active pills and do three consecutive days of bleeding followed by three pill-free days, whether that um, is better for adherence and patient satisfaction. And uh, it seems like it might be. Hmm. So that's interesting. So maybe the whole seven-day placebo thing isn't the best way. I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? So, I don't. That's for sure. Yeah, I certainly don't. I don't take this stuff. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't taste good. <laughs> yes. No, the, uh, I don't have a taste for it. One of my last uh, shifts at... Um, the community pharmacy, um, this guy came up and, and you can always tell, you know, it's a younger guy and he's a little embarrassed. And so I can, he's like, kind of like eyeing the plan B shelf. Um, doesn't like, Oh, Hey, um, do you got anything for, you know, what can I do for? And he's like, kind of gets it out. Finally. I'm like, yeah, you know, we'll get you the, get you this thing. I asked him if he wanted to do a, uh, the generic version, which is the same product at this point. I think they had, um, next choice, I think was a generic version is like 15 bucks cheaper and he's like well what's the same and then he's asking me the difference and as he's asking me his buddy who is the licensed healthcare professional i'm sure he comes up and he's like what are you doing man and the guy uh, says i'm gonna get the generic ones cheaper he goes uh-huh you're gonna get those generic results too <laughs> i had to really keep it together because i thought that was hilarious oh, <laughs> my last shifts really memorable um so one important thing about birth control is what interacts with it so what can decrease its efficacy right so we, almost, want, we almost canceled this right. end of the episode almost without even it. talking about it start it back up again another face palm that right been afterwards r- been ridiculous well, we could have done a part two but um yeah. that's pretty important and there's some not controversy but some uh gray areas as to what is worth counseling a patient about and what's not so antibiotics come up a lot um i've heard people say no antibiotics don't matter don't worry about it no big deal i've also heard people say certain antibiotics do matter um i tend to generally be on the safe side if it comes up um, but for sure there are certain antibiotics that you would want to um, counsel the patient to use backup contraceptives with and a lot of them are um, significant cyp sip inducers um, being some being rifampin rifapentin rifabutin um, all very strong inducers with rifampin specifically um, you may want to tell them that for six weeks after using it, you want to continue using backup contraceptive methods. Um, and for antibiotics in general, you know, it's on a case by case basis. Um, I think we're generally going to say play it safe, uh, but there are a lot of antibiotics that may not necessarily matter. Um, but anticonvulsants, you definitely want to be careful with more strong inducers. Um, so you, if you're taking those, so there are certain ones like, um, uh, or I guess certain anaphylactics and anticonvulsants um, 
that you probably would just want to avoid totally in uh, patients of childbearing age because of the potential teratogenicity. Um, but if you're going to use these other ones, just they're basically going to have to use backup contraceptive methods. So barbiturates, carbamazepine, oxcarbazepine, um, parampanol, phenytoin, primidone, topiramate, lamotrigine, all those have them use backup contraceptives if they're on them. And yeah. there's some more, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then real quick too, you know, you mentioned that about the bacteria. Um, one thing that's kind of interesting, that there is a proposed mechanism for the potential interaction between antibiotics and uh, birth controls in general, the, the estrogen components rather. Um, and that's because it goes with that particular interaction, it's actually going even further than just like a SIP interaction. Um, they've proposed this mechanism that hasn't really been proven, but the thought is that um, the antibiotic is reducing the gut bacteria, um, and that gut bacteria is actually what causes the hydrolysis um, of the conjugated uh, estrogen, which basically allows it for reabsorption um, of that estrogen, the enterohepatic circulation. Um, and so if you have a decrease in the gut bacteria, then you basically are decreasing the hydroxylation reaction or hydrolysis reactions rather, and you're not getting that reabsorption. So the concentrations of the drug itself go down and, uh, that's kind of the theory. So if you are going to worry about that, definitely looking at um, the antibiotics that you would be worried about having more effect on the uh, gut biome. Yeah, so which generally I think of stuff and, that causes a lot of diarrhea usually yeah. has effects on the yeah, gut biome. Exactly. So you, you next, you know, you got augmenting going on, lots of diarrhea. Got probably, your fluoroquinolones. Probably affecting the uh, gut biome. Yep. So yeah, it's something that even though it's you know, like we said, may or may not be a, a true uh, concern. Definitely something to at least consider and know the mechanism on. And also, um, St. John's wort. So you got to look at over the counter stuff. Generally, you just want to stay away from that one. Yeah. Way too many drug interactions. Mm-hmm. And even smoking. So smoking can actually potentially decrease uh, the efficacy. So just be aware. Mm-hmm. Be very aware. Very aware. So good. I'm glad you read a patient or a. Um, I shouldn't say patient, I, a listener question. Um, guys, write in. Ask us questions. We like it. Yeah. Might so, even read it on the air. Yeah. So, actually, we've, we've got a ton of really good equipment. What we time have. is it? We, you know what? We don't, we're on Who cares? schedule. I'm going to keep going. It's three in the this. morning. Whatever. I don't, I don't need your permission. <laughs> so, um, I, I put a note Just on, my wife's permission. Yeah, that's true. I don't want you to get in trouble. <laughs> um, I put a note on uh, on. Um, Instagram basically saying, you know, that I would answer questions if anybody had any, uh, it was Sunday and I was working on something. So I figured why not, um, see if I can get stumped. And, uh, so I'm going to read one of these. We're going to start a new segment on the show called read that gram. Oh, we haven't had a new set. I we know. haven't had a new segment in a long time. Most of our segments only make it one episode. You and actually, we forget all about you remember them. I proposed this a long time ago and I was going to call it a gram gram and you mm. just totally didn't like that. That's the worst name I've ever heard in my entire yeah, life. It's, you know, a gram is like a note, I don't and then it's from yeah. the gram. I hate it. What about gram from the gram? Nope. Gram on the gram? Nope. Okay. Gram crackers, we're not doing it. So what did you say you were calling it? Oh, yeah. Oh, I, I forgot already. Shoot, I'll go back and listen. Something gram. Um, yeah, something like that, whatever. Um, I'll uh, go back and listen to it. <laughs> it's going to be called Questions That You Asked Us. <laughs> don't, get, don't, don't be ridiculous. Don't get fancy. Yeah, don't get fancy. So, um, trying to, there's so, we actually had so many good ones. Um, this, this is an interesting one. Um, a student had asked, um, a P2 student from um, the Detroit, Michigan area, and I won't go any further, so I don't even know if I'm allowed to, to talk about him on here and ask his permission, um, but he was 
kind of looking through like some practice questions and uh, like looking at this one case-based question and uh, they were comparing the a patient that had basically had hypertension, they had diabetes, and they had a history of being on amlodipine already for their hypertension. Diabetes was fairly controlled, um, but their blood pressure now is 160 over 84. And so the question that the case was kind of wondering is what would be the next best choice? And so the options were like amlodipine and then losartan, which we always think of an ACE um, in the diabetes realm, but mm-hmm. you know, Arb, we'll keep that in our back pocket. Yeah. All right, hear me Less out. Less cough, yeah. And then uh, amlodipine plus a thiazide-like diuretic, um, so clothalidone, um, or you could do uh, amlodipine HCTZ. If you've listened to this podcast at all, you know that's the worst <laughs> method ever when I'm doing that doing? one. Yeah, get that out of here. Um, and then the other option was to do uh, like just lifestyle management and then switch the amlodipine to like, like Cinepril and call it a day. So of those, obviously C and D, not a huge fans. If you're in stage two hypertension, then probably would go ahead and uh, cancel out those first two because you're going to be on multiple agents, most likely if it's uncontrolled stage two. Um, you're not going to get them to, to be a goal blood pressure with just one uh, agent. Without serious lifestyle changes. Exactly. And so if we look at kind of the, the pros and cons, pros and cons, this, this thing real quick. Um, amlodipine, it's okay. Um, first line, no problem. Um, now, if the patient was, when they're first being diagnosed, you know, the, before the amlodipine was even added, you would obviously assess if make sure they're not spilling any protein. Um, look for the microalbuminuria, and as long as that's clear, um, no no proteinuria, then you can realistically pick any of the three agents. Um, now, the problem with the thiazide diuretic is you will get an increased reabsorption of glucose into the plasma. So you're you're going to get potentially now if the person's really well controlled and they have a good handle on the diabetes this, this may not be all that big of a deal but if you're chasing your the person's sugars around a1c is out of control uh, definitely going to be something that you would want to at least take into consideration before starting um, now the patient in this case was elderly so we have evidence for um, outcome you know outcome data with clothalidone so um, we had the ship trial that was looking at an elderly patients we have the all hat trial and, uh, you know, some other more smaller random trials. But those are the two big ones. And um, we know it has outcome data. So it's a good option. It's better than better blood pressure lowering than HCTZ, more powerful. And so definitely something to consider. Um, however, if we look at the other option, the amlodipine and losartan, um, that one um, kind of intrigued me a little bit more, even though they didn't have any proteinuria. Um, so if we think back to the uh, renal study, um, they were looking at um, adding on losartan to patients with diabetes. Um, again, putting more emphasis on the renal protective um, component of that, uh, which we've kind of gotten away from, like prophylactically treating with an acerin arm if they don't have any presence of that microalbuminuria. But um, still, nonetheless, um, losartan we do have data with in patients with diabetes. Um, and what I thought was interesting was in that trial, they had over 70% of the patients were on a CCB. So we have kind of like this exact patient, um, you know, minus the risk of proteinuria at this point. Right. But as you know, the uh, 
calcium channel blocker will dilate the afferent arterial in the kidney, which is going to increase interglomerular pressure, and you could end up causing that uh, increase in microbiomuria over time anyway. So just a lot of stuff to consider. I would personally, uh, probably just from a side effect profile, a cost profile, all that, I would probably go with the amlodipine, losartan, mm-hmm. and then have them take the losartan at night because cover the RAS system, mm-hmm. more active at night. And amlodipine's got such a long half-life. That way you're covering them for the being a dipper or a non-dipper. Right. Just and my thoughts. Find a way to sneak diabetes and hypertension into the Women's Health Podcast. Yeah, why not? It's the most common I, stuff. Might as well get it. Or the most, re- I should say, the you most said prevalent. Read, you said to read a question. And no, it's I good. Read a question. It was no, good. I feel like you didn't like it. No, I did. That was good. <laughs> uh, Throw it. I mean, we got to get tri- mad at you, man. We got to get some big trials in here somehow. Yeah, I got to. Couldn't find any with the dang contraceptives. Yeah, well, we probably could have looked. Um, I'm sure you <laughs> might have been able to find something. We probably could have looked and that would have helped. Yeah, that's true. Uh, busted. <laughs> Anyways, so like Cole said, we very, very, very much appreciate everyone that listens to the show. Um, we're blown away that anybody actually even takes the time to, to listen. So um, very uh, humbled and appreciative that you guys um, would, would take the time to listen. Thank you so much for the questions that we've been getting. It's keeping us on our toes, too. Yeah. So it's been awesome. I like it. Um, yeah, it makes me, sh- it points out where I have holes in my game, too. So I've got to sharpen up. Um, so definitely keep those coming. And, uh, you know, if you do enjoy the show, please share with some friends. Give us a, a rating, if you will. That would be awesome. Any little bit helps. Um, and then uh, we will keep on producing content for you guys. I do want to say, um, since we do our best, but we always don't get them out like on the same day every week or whatever, mm-hmm. so it's hard to predict. Be sure to subscribe, especially on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. That way you'll get a notification when mm-hmm. a new one comes out, yep. and you'll know. Or just sit in front of your phone and just update. Just refresh every thirty minutes or so, and your whole life, you know, and hopefully we don't take two weeks like we did last month. <laughs> um, and also, too, for the video version, um, for you guys have seen, I need to like just zoom in on this. But uh, Doctor Adam Martin's book um, we put up on the has made it to the shelf now, right next to yeah. uh, Doctor Richard Waits. And uh, so, it'd be have, pretty important to make it to the shelf. I know it's, mm. it's a big deal. It's a big milestone, really. <laughs> He's, but he's made it now. He made it. Man. Start from the bottom. Now he's up in the shelf. <laughs> and so uh, definitely big shout out to him. If you've not checked out his book, please go do it. It's awesome. He's super passionate about healthy lifestyle, uh, fitness, and, and positive mind frame while trying to manage the craziness that is the healthcare profession. Mm-hmm. So uh, definitely go check out his book. It's, it's good. And uh, you know, if you have any questions for him, he's very easy to find. And um as always, thank you guys for listening, and we will see you next time. Later.